You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I know some of you are still in mourning. There are some people that I can't even talk to because they're still away from the show in mourning, and I do hope they'll come back soon. Um, Or at the very least, if they don't come back to this show soon, I hope that they, I should put that on Twitter, I hope that they uh, listened to Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur because I really liked everything they had to say. So I want to try to go through some of the things that they had talked about. Um, really just two big takeaways, one from each um, that I had. I guess with, with Gutekunst, it's a little more of a broad one takeaway. It kind of sounds like several, but it just sort of gave me, you know, in a read the tea leaves kind of a way, um, a feeling for where the Packers are at on certain things. And it, it feels like there was a shift. I guess we'll just get started. Because uh, I just got done listening to Brian Gutekunst, uh, the full thing, as opposed to just a couple clips and summaries from other people. Here is sort of how I feel about things. And I, I talked about yesterday the Jordan Love situation. Again, the Packers were in a situation where Aaron Rodgers had not really played up on a very high level in quite a while. And there's some assumption that, you know, if we just do X, Y, and Z, that he can get back to normal, but there's no guarantee of that. And so they're hoping in year two of this system that he sort of grows and learns and takes some steps and strides and and can be, as I talked about prior to last season, best case scenario, you get sort of that John Elway thing where he recaptures some of what happened. But there's no guarantee that's going to happen. And again, a lot of people that want to throw hissy fits like to Monday morning quarterback as though they knew what was going to happen. They didn't. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And so the Packers drafted Jordan Love, in part, yes, because that is just part of what they do. You take the best player available, and that, in this case, happened to be a quarterback that they really, really, really liked. But it's also true that if this was the the Packers had drafted, you know, Pat Mahomes, I don't know that they take Jordan Love. So I don't know that it's as black and white. I think the fact that he's older and the fact that they weren't 100% sure that he was going to regain what he used to be that played into it as well. And so what the Packers did is they put themselves into a situation where if Aaron Rodgers takes the necessary leap, then we don't really need Jordan Love. If he doesn't, then we have Jordan Love. We're putting ourselves in a situation where we're not going to be failures for the next 20 years. We're going to continue succeeding. We're going to continue dominating one way or another with Aaron Rodgers or without him. And, of course, we'd love it to be with Aaron Rodgers because we know what his top end is. But if he's not that guy anymore, if he can't get to that level anymore, we'll find somebody who will. And I think part of the reason, and this is kind of the the thing that really clicked for me, part of the reason the controversy has been able to spiral and part of the reason I think the, the media has been able to pounce on the Packers is because the Packers haven't been the best at shutting it down. They've been kind of evasive. And, and, and everything they do, and I think the, the anger from Aaron Rodgers was maybe somewhat understandable. He wants them to rally around Rodgers, and the Packers are kind of like, yeah, 
we'll see how it goes, bud. Maybe start playing a little better and we'll rally around you. And so the media starts making stuff up, and nobody really wants to just 100% squash it because, again, there's coach speak, but these guys aren't going to generally, as far as I can tell, just flat-out lie about stuff. So they can come out and say, why don't you tell me 100% that Aaron Rodgers is your guy, and, and they'll dance around it. And that gives them all kinds of opportunities. It's been very interesting to listen to them talk this year where they have shut everything down 100%. They have said 100,000% Aaron Rodgers is our guy. We want him to be our guy not just this year but for the next billion years. We're going to play him. We're going to we're going to we whatever he needs, we're going to give him everything he needs. We you know, suddenly there's a, there seems to be a little bit of a change. Even if it's not, you know, well, we've been saying that for you. Well, okay. If you say so. Not only that, when you ask him about Jordan Love, suddenly they're comparing him to Matt Hasselbeck. That's interesting. It's almost as if they've already relegated him to, uh, we'll try to develop him and trade him one of these days. He'll be a good backup, and then we'll ship him off. And, and again, who knows what's going to happen? Aaron Rodgers could retire. Aaron Rodgers could hit a wall and fall off talent-wise. Anything could happen. But I genuinely think this was a wait and see, and there were a number of different ways that this could go. And the best possible scenario is that Aaron Rodgers becomes the best quarterback in the NFL. And I think people underplay that. What the, the number one thing you want in this league is a really good quarterback, and the Packers have the best quarterback in football. It's not Pat Mahomes, it's Aaron Rodgers. They went out and got a quarterback-friendly coach and set themselves in a position where hopefully Aaron Rodgers can take this scheme and get himself to a new level of excellence. And if not, we develop a quarterback, we put him in the scheme, and he dominates. And the absolute best thing happened, and they're ready to just go all in. I've never heard the Green Bay Packers talk in this way. They're so definitive. They're 100% certain what they're going to do. We're all in. And all this not people keep talking about, well, they, you know, now TJ Lang is apparently, I didn't see exactly what he said, but it was, he went on some radio show and said, I think Aaron Rodgers is out for revenge. For what? Well, because they won't rally around him. What the heck are you talking about, stupid? They have no money right now. Why? Why do they have no money right now? It's not because of COVID. There's only like six teams that are completely out of money, that are bankrupt, basically, in cap terms. Why are the Packers out of money? A team that never spends any money. Interesting how they have no money. How does that happen? Is it maybe because they went out and got Zedarius and Preston and Amos and Turner and then went out and got Funches and Snacks and Tavon and every single person that they could possibly get and sucked them all up and now they're out of money? Does that have maybe something to do with it? Well, they didn't get him a wide receiver. Way to move the goalpost. What happened to, well, if we ever give him a top 10 defense, so then they went out and got him a defense? Stop. Stop saying stupid things. Aaron Rodgers understands they're rallying around him now. That whole thing is squashed. It's over with. He knows. He knows Matt is committed to him. He knows Goode is committed to him. He knows they're going all in. I'm sure he was scared. I'm sure he was scared when they drafted Jordan Love. I'm sure he was upset when they drafted Jordan Love. But I think he earned that spot. I think he knows, not that they're moving on, he knows that he was being put under pressure. He knows that the message is perform or we're moving on. He performed, and now they're moving on with him. It's done. It's settled. And on top of that, everything they're saying sounds like win-now talk. Whatever he needs, they're going to do. Another thing, another reason that matters, they were building for the future in case Aaron Rodgers leaves. you got Jordan Love, you've got A.J. Dillon, you've got all these guys that are for the future. But not only that, look at how many guys the Packers have that are basically on this team up until Aaron Rodgers leaves. In other words, they were planning on when he leaves, it's a total and complete rebuild. 
We went out and got Zadarius Smith. He's got two years left. Devontae's done this year. Preston's got two years. Adrian's got two years. Lowry's done in two years. I'm talking about this year and next year. Everybody's just here, and then there's this massive cliff, and they don't know which way to go, and now they know which way we're going. We're taking Aaron Rodgers all the way. Now, I don't know how long he can play, but I don't think they're looking at this and saying, look, in 2023, we're moving on because he can't do it, right? We, we ride him in 2021. We slowly transition to Jordan Love. And at that time, we move on from a lot of these guys and we rebuild. Maybe, maybe some of them get extensions or whatever. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But this was, this was a wait and see. And now they see. And the question is, what do they do? And I think that has massive implications in terms of the salary cap. What do we do with Adrian Amos now? Are we really going to move on after two years? Or is Adrian Amos stick around for a while? What about Zadarius? Are we really done with Zadarius in two years? Both of these guys, Zadarius is 28, Amos is 27. So I think basically they have to restructure these contracts to rather than than leaving themselves some outs in terms of maybe we're moving on from Aaron Rodgers, maybe they start shifting these contracts to look a little bit more like a team that's going to have Aaron Rodgers for quite a while. And I don't exactly know what that means. That's going to largely depend on Aaron Rodgers, how long he wants to play and how long his body can hold up. But let's remember how much he admires Tom Brady, how much he's admired his his regimen and how much he talks about taking care of his body so that he can play for a long time. He's 37 years old. Tom Brady's 43. There's a six-year difference there. He's talking about playing until he's 45. That would be eight years. And again, I don't know if he can do it. I don't know how long his body's going to be able to hold up. But Aaron Rodgers says he wants to play. He says he wants to be a Packer. And the Packers had, had said, at least in the past, he can be a Packer as long as he wants. We'll see what happens. But I think now they mean it. Now I think the plan is, as long as you want to be a Packer, you're a Packer. It's not lip service anymore. We're going all in. Because, again, we don't know. They, they, they didn't know. And we can Monday morning quarterback this all we want. And we can say, well, that was stupid. You should have known. How could you not know? He's a great quarterback. Probably because he hasn't been for about four or five years. Probably has something to do with it. And the fact that, yes, he's getting disgruntled. And, yes, he doesn't seem to be listening very much when Matt LaFleur says you need to do this, he doesn't do it. It's kind of a weird thing. You can pretend you didn't see it. You can pretend you, you were this omniscient person who, oh, I always knew he was great. He just needed X, Y. You did not. And neither did the Packers. And it's kind of like I talked about with Zadarius when we got him. I, I don't think the Packers even knew how good Zadarius was going to be. In fact, I, I, I think the Packers have consistently been overly cautious not realizing how good things gonna, are going to be. I, again, when, when Gutekunst took over, I think they were expecting a little mini rebuild. They went out and got some players. I don't think they realized how good they were going to be. They didn't have any ideas that Darius was going to be that good. And even this year, I think they were hoping that Rodgers would improve in year two. But they didn't have any idea he was going to go out and be league MVP. So now it's like, all right, all right, listen, enough. We, we, we've got all these questions answered. The rebuild is over. And that's why I, I've been saying, well, two things. I think yesterday I had said, I just had this weird feeling something big was going to happen. And again, no, that doesn't mean trade Aaron Rodgers, obviously. And hear, hearing Gutekunst talk about this sort of win now, and yeah, it makes me nervous because win now can be really dangerous, but it also doesn't necessarily have to be reckless. But it just seems like they're willing to do some drastic stuff to move money wherever, wherever it needs to go to make sure we have all the guys we need. And also when it comes to the draft, I think they're going to have a completely different philosophy. I think you're going to see a lot more win-now type draft picks. I think the idea of, well, we don't draft wide receivers in the first round is out the window. Not saying they're going to do that, but I think if that's the best available player, they're taking them, and they're not going to think twice about it. If that's a tackle, they're going to take it. It doesn't matter what it is. We're building up everything we need 
to get what we need to win. And I think that also goes into Mike Pettin, and I think that's a big part of it. The Packers have a a history of hanging on to guys too long. My biggest thing with Mike uh, McCarthy was that it didn't seem to be winning wasn't the number one priority. And I know that sounds like a nonsense comment, but you look at his priority was was standing by his guys. He never wanted to fire coaches. Not to say he never did, but but I mean, you had to be just terrible to get fired. He wanted his guys to get hired away. He wanted his guys to get promoted. That was the number one priority. So when it got to be the time that all the good good coaches got hired away and everybody that was left just wasn't good enough to get hired away, they just stuck around. The, the new philosophy needs to be if you don't perform, you go bye-bye. And they could have easily stuck by Petten and said, look, there were some bad decisions, but we obviously improved as a defense and we look forward to improving even further. They said, nope, we are in win-now mode. It means we're not sitting around and, and playing these games. And one of the things, and this will be our transition into Matt LaFleur and the, de- the defense, excuse me, and I think it, it, it's not, this is how you know it's not just lip service. Again, they've been somewhat aggressive. I think they're going to continue to be as aggressive as they possibly can be despite the cap situation, and that includes the draft. Whether that means trading back and acquiring as many picks as possible or trading up and getting elite talent, one way or another, they're going to try to stack talent. But again, I think the, the biggest thing that the Packers had that was a characteristic that is probably not the greatest characteristic is playing scared. They're not an aggressive team. From top to bottom, I don't think they were an aggressive team, offensively or defensively. As much as Matt wanted to be and and talked about needing to be, I don't think they were. You know, you look at the defense, and it was bend, don't break. And bend, don't break worked to a degree, but a lot of it is just staying back because we're scared of getting beat deep. And that's a philosophy that has a feel to it, and that gets permeated inside the players. I think when you look at the fact that they refused to play players that didn't have a a genuine understanding of, of the team, that's probably some just that's intelligent but at the same time it's scared we just want to not make mistakes we don't want to to really just push all the chips in and say just go get them no i'm 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 scared that you're going to make a mistake so i'm i'm we're just going to i'm going to i'm going to go with what i know and i think that kind of needs to stop and again firing my pet is probably the right thing because again as i said it's scary because you can go backwards but i don't think you can play this game being scared you got to be aggressive you got to be all in and the fact of the matter is we can be better and that's all we need to know We don't need to know if we can be worse. Of course you can be worse, but that's not the point. We're not going to play like cowards. The point is we can be better. We should be better. I demand that we get better production, and so that's the direction we're going to go. And when you listen to him talk about what he wants in a defense, I love it. He wants somebody that's going to be more aggressive. He talked extensively about how we were way too passive. Standing off on third and short is nonsense. Um, I mentioned how Mike Patton literally would give up first downs, and I said it seemed like that's what they wanted to do. If it's third and one, they just say forget it because this isn't my strategy. This isn't my my whole thing is on you know we want you to come up short on first and second down, force you into third and longs, and that's when we beat you. And if you happen to get in third and short, well shucks, we lost. We'll back off a little bit. And Matt specifically called that out, maybe not in those exact terms, but more or less talked about that and said, no, 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 you have to earn every inch. I don't care if it's 1st and 10, 1st and 50, or, 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 or 3rd and 2. You have to earn it. You have to struggle to just get every single yard against us. And again, that comes with risk, but you can't, be, you can't play defense scared. And that also has a, an effect on the defense. You can talk all the tough talk you want, but when you tell them to go out and play scared, it's hard to balance those two things. We want you to go out and be tough. But then every play call I give you is scared, 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 back off, slow, take take it easy. 
Just just give them the first. Just just slow down. Should we go get them? No, no, just just let's let's just bring three. Everyone else just back off. Everyone just stay in coverage and, and just don't let them get yards. No, go get them. Attack. There's the words and then there's the actions. And that's what they're looking for. And that excites me because, again, we have the personnel to do it. Not every team can do that. You try to get too aggressive and you're just going to get killed if you don't have the players. We have the players. We absolutely have the players, especially when you got guys that can play man coverage. That gives you so much extra flexibility that other teams just don't have when you have guys that can just play zone. I mean, true lockdown man-to-man cover corners are so unbelievably rare, and the Packers maybe have the best young shutdown man-to-man coverage corner in the NFL, and they didn't really fully utilize them to the best of their abilities. We just played scared all the time. And so that seems to be the general message going forward. We'll see how much they can embody it. We'll see how much they can attack. You know, I saw a... um See if I can pull it up here. I should have saved it. I do such a bad... It's so easy to save things for the podcast, and I just refuse. It's incredible. Found it. So Ken Ingles put up a quote via Vic Ketchman. That's where I saw this. But it was... It kind of goes in line with all the stuff I'm saying. Quote, I think the Bucks knew the Packers are not committed to the run. They use it as a diversion when they're winning. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Right? They, they're tough talkers. Right? We're going to run the ball. We're going to do all this stuff. You know, we, we're going to get this big bruising back, and we're, we're, we're going to impose our will. Except they don't. When a team shows that they can kind of play big boy football, what do they do? They drop back and throw, 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 throw. I mean, this is, this is make no mistake about it, Vic Ketchman is calling out the Packers for essentially being cowards, for not being as tough as their talk. And that's what has to change. And again, very, very good football team. More than capable. They just got to pull the trigger. You can pull it off. Sometimes you got to execute better. Sometimes you just got to trust your guys. And sometimes if it's not working, you got to say, you know what? I expect it to work. Man up. You're better than this. Get out there and go do it. We're going to smash them in the mouth. And look, I, again, to not expect good things from the Packers is to just be the ultimate pessimist because they've done nothing but do right by us. Well, they lost the NFC Championship game two years in a row. Yeah, they got to the NFC Championship game two years in a row. They got to the NFC Championship game with a first-year GM, or second-year GM, a first-year head coach. And then the next year, you this was the most dominant Packers offense we've seen, and we got to the NFC Championship game, and you just want to pout about it. Okay, well, our GM has proven to be pretty good at drafting, including his one potentially bad year was the year that he was a GM for like a week and still got the best corner in all of football, so cry about it. He went out in free agency and got a bunch of aces. And we got. And by the way, they hired Matt LaFleur, who turned this offense into an elite offense. Aaron Rodgers wasn't just automatically going to be the best quarterback in football no matter what. That's silly. You needed to bring in the right people. Devontae, Lindsley, how many times have I gone through the list? And so the, the greatest thing about the Packers is when they say this is what we want to do, they're able to find a way to do it. We need to find the right coach. They found the right coach. We need to find some better pass rushers. They found better pass rushers. We need to find better safeties. They got Savage and Amos. They found them. We need to go out and get another running back. They got A.J. Dillon. You feeling okay about that? They didn't address linebacker until the fifth round. They got Kamal Martin, who's one of the best rookie running linebackers in football. The point is maybe they don't always make the best decision in terms of what we need to do but when they decide this is what we need to find they do a better job of actually finding that thing than anyone and yes what I am saying is that if they could go back in time I think maybe they reconsider Jordan Love I do believe it was the right decision at that time 
But I think at this point in time, now that they know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, maybe they go in a different direction. But again, I do think it was the right decision at that time. I think it made a lot of sense. I think it still can be a benefit because, again, we still don't know what's going to happen. For all we know, next year this whole thing unravels and Aaron Rodgers is not the MVP and he gets some kind of an injury or y- you never know. And again, that's why I'm not saying they're 100% would go back and change their mind. And obviously, if you ask them, they're going to say, of course, we wouldn't do that. We're very proud of our decision and you guys are being ridiculous and all that stuff. So there's no point in even asking them that. Who knows what's going to happen? And I do know that it is still a part of their strategy to draft quarterbacks. So again, maybe I'm wrong and they would have still made the same decision. But again, I think there's a possibility now that they know the direction that things start to look a little bit different. And this is also why it's silly to to just write things down in stone in terms of this is what the Packers do. No, that changes, man. And the biggest issue with the draft is a small sample size. Did you know the Packers haven't done this in five years? Well, did you know there's like 17 different positions to fill and you maybe get six or seven picks in a draft? How do you gauge a team's tendencies when there's so many changing things, right? Well, they haven't drafted a, uh, you know, slot receiver in, in X amount of year. Okay, how many times have they needed receiver? How many times have they drafted receiver? What did the board look like at that particular point in time? Was there a slot receiver or not? Did they need a slot at that time or not? Were they looking for something at that moment specifically? And what happens, for example, this is just one example, what happens if the bigger priority was finding somebody like Alan Lazard and now they found him? Finding somebody like MVS and now they found him and now the next highest priority is a slot guy. Do you think they just, as an organization, hate smaller slot guys? Or do you think maybe it just wasn't their highest priority and maybe the board just wasn't quite right and maybe the stars align? And they're interested in it, and somebody that looks like that falls right into their lap. So, all, you know, again, all the draft stuff is, is silly. The idea that, well, they would never. How do you know? Well, because they haven't. So what? So what? I mean, it's, it's really like somebody rolls, if you, if you have like three dice, and you roll it seven times. You're like, did you know that uh, there's never been three ones in, in like the history of the Green Bay Packers? They've never done that. Or, or in the in the entirety of the, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, they've never had three ones. So what, dude? What does that mean? Well, obviously, they, they just refuse to do it. Or maybe it just didn't come up three ones for, I mean, it's not that. Yeah. Things change. Priorities change. The board is what it is. They're not going to get away from the board. So it's so impossible to talk about tendency as well as look into the future and say what they will do because they don't even know yet. The best we can do is look at it from a standpoint of what is what is the direction they want to go. And again, I think they've now 100% gone, gone into win now, and not just win now, but win now with Aaron. I think that changes the the way the, the contracts are structured. Everything doesn't end in two years. It's not the end of the world in two years. That's going to start changing. I do think there's a possibility that Aaron Rodgers pushes some more money out. I said before that that wasn't an option because that essentially kills the prospect of Jordan Love taking over in the next two years or whatever. I think the Packers are okay with that. I think you start to see a couple things in that regard that start to sort of solidify not just the next year or two, but the next several years or however long Aaron feels like being here. And that's all I can really glean from it. Again, I don't know what's going to happen in the draft because there's no way to know. There's way too many variables, and, and none of it has to do with their tendency. Well, they're going to get, so what they're going to do first is get a corner, and then they're going to get a tackle, and then they're going to get a wide receiver, and that's it. And I, we know the wide receiver is going to be 6-4 and run a 4-3-2 because that's what they want. Dude, come on, man. We don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows. They're not going in saying we need these positions. They can't do that. You can't do that. 
There might be one corner that they like at that value, and he's gone seven picks before the Packers pick. You think they're going to take a corner just because they need one? 100% they don't. Maybe they try to trade back to get him at a better value, but maybe they trade back and, and the guy that they want back there is gone. Now what? You just keep trading back until you get a corner? No, you make a pick, and you missed on a corner, and so be it. And I think that's exactly what happened last year with wide receiver, but we all want to sit here and say, well, they just refused to take a wide receiver. They didn't refuse. They, they flat-out talked about how there were wide receivers they wanted, and they were gone. In the first round, they didn't trade up until, I think, Ayuk left. That was the last wide receiver that they were targeting off the board, and they said, all right, they're all gone. What do we do? There's one guy left by the name of Jordan Love. Let's go get him before he's gone, and we got nobody left. They talked specifically about wide receivers in the second round that were gone. They wanted some guys, but they were all gone. They talked about it in the third round. The guy the Baltimore Ravens picked. The, I mean, they, they didn't say his name, and I keep forgetting his name, but they talked about it in the third round there was somebody they liked that went off the board shortly before they picked. There was only one wide receiver that fit that criteria. So in the first three rounds, you can be sure they were at least interested in wide receivers. It just didn't fall that way. So we don't know the, the specifics in that way, but I do think that's the best frame of reference we can get, and I think that's something to be excited about. They want to be more aggressive, which means a lot of different things, but they also, are, I think, are ready to settle into now. They talked about now, but I think they were scared about the future enough to back off a bit. And, of course, they're not going to just abandon the future, which of course, you can't really abandon the future when you draft somebody because you don't draft for one year. But I do think you're going to see an emphasis on impact players. That's the vibe I got from everybody. They understand that they're in a great position. They have the team they need. They've got the best quarterback in football. They didn't know that was going to be the case. Now they do. They had no idea Aaron Rodgers was going to take this team to these heights. And now that they got an idea of what this team looks like in the second year of the offense, they know what's going really, really well and what's not really going very, very well. And they're going to figure out how to, how to maximize that, up to and including, by the way, going out in free agency and making moves. I don't know exactly how that works. That may mean, again, pushing out more money, which is going to be hard to do because, as I said, a lot of these guys are, you know, they've got like one year left on their contract, so that would mean just pushing it all into next year, which is just going to kill us next year. So I don't think that's necessarily the way that that's going to go unless there's an extension waiting. One thing that I found, well, you know what, let's take a break because I don't even know what's on the other side of this, so let's, let's save that. As always, if you'd like to help out the podcast, make sure you share it with your friends and family. Let them know that we're out here and that uh, this thing exists. Also, if you have any thoughts on how you personally could help out the show, I don't really have any thoughts myself, but a lot of people have reached out with their individual talents and have helped me in, in various different ways. So I'm, I'm very accessible. Um, otherwise, there is patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy could support the show directly for as little as a dollar a month definitely helps me in the off season because the advertisers completely dry up and the show numbers completely go down so you take less money and exacerbate that with less money and uh, you know patreon kind of helps keep me afloat and hopefully youtube let's let's uh, get excited about that but anyways let's take a break we'll be right back in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So I don't know the precedent on stuff like this and and I guess the rules or any of that kind of stuff, but it's a little bit interesting when you look at Aaron Rodgers' thing. Um, his contract would be the thing that I'm referring to. I just I had a little thought because, again, when you look at Zadarius, for example, if you try to push back his money, you're just pushing it into next year, and that just makes next year impossible because he becomes extremely expensive, and obviously we can't move on because it's all guaranteed money. It. it it's just it's dead caps. You, you can't get rid of them and you can't shave off money and it just hurts us next year. However, if you look at Aaron Rodgers, for example, this year, his cap hit is thirty seven and a half million dollars. Next year, it's thirty nine point eight. And the year after that, it's only twenty eight point three. And it's the twenty eight point three that I think gives us a little bit of flexibility, especially when you look at the dead cap of only two point eight in twenty twenty three. If I'm correct in the fact that the Packers believe that they're at the very least going to get two more years out of them. I think that provides us a little flexibility. And again, I don't know the precedent behind this, but let's let's take a look at something. What if they decided, what if we wanted to shave about $10 million off of it? And I know that seems like a lot, but just bear with me. And I, I don't know if we, if we convert this into bonus, we might have to do $15 million because, you know, it's over three years, including this year. It doesn't really matter for the sake of, of this example. We're taking $10 million, we're pushing it in over to the next two years. That would add $5 million to 2022 and 2023. So now we're looking at next year being 44.9 essentially million dollars and 2023 being 33 million dollars. So you look at it and say, well, that's too much money in 2022. That's going to hurt us. Well, what if we just did it again? Because again, I don't know if there's any way to slingshot money around 2022, but this could be possibly be a way to do it. So we added $5 million to each. If in 2022, we package, let's say $10 million so that we keep 5 million here and push 5 million out to next year, Essentially, 2022 stays the same. We added five, we subtracted five. And 2023, we added 10. So we're essentially taking $10 million off of 2021 and moving it to 2023, and we're making it guaranteed, meaning he's not going anywhere. That's essentially all we've done. So his cap hit would go from 37 down to 32. And in 2023, it would go from 28 up to 38. So his his effective cap hit, and again, I might be missing a couple things here, would mean 32 this year, 39 next year, 38 the year after that. In terms of the dead cap, 
Um, in 2022, it's at 17.2, so we would have to add five to that. So his cap hit would be, well, let, let's just say you can't move on, right? Because it would be an additional $5 million from what we did in 2021, and then we'd be doing it again in 2022. So I think he'd be getting 39.8, and the dead cap would be 27. So it's not that you can't get out of his contract if you needed to, but you wouldn't feel the need to, especially if we're pushing out money again. Obviously, that implies we're good keeping him. And then we're adding, what, $10 million in dead cap to 2023? That's only at 2.8. So it's sitting at 12.8, and his cap hit would be at 39. So if something happened in 2023, for whatever reason, and we needed to move on, I still think we could. But again, the whole point of this is we feel like we don't need to. Because the way his his contract is structured right now, it, it makes it fairly easy for us to move out in 2020, get away from this in 2022, i.e. next year. And again, if, if, if I'm reading this correctly, they no longer feel the need to do that. So why take the hit this year when they need the money? Why not push it out? Just a thought, because there really aren't a ton of other options. Again, with Zadarius Smith, he's only got one more year, so everything we push into next year just becomes next year. And then next year he becomes way too expensive, and we can't move on because it's all just bonuses that we have to take on. It just means more dead cap if we cut him, and and we probably don't want to cut him. Bakhtiari doesn't make any sense because we just signed the guy. So whatever structure they wanted, they already put in place. I mentioned Devontae. I think he gets an extension. I think that saves us a bunch of money. So you got Aaron, you got Devontae. That's already a big pile of money. You move on from Preston, that's another $8 million. Amos, again, and I, and I don't know what, what happens in terms of, I mean, is it possible some of these guys get extensions from two years out? Or do we just wait until next year, see who we want to keep and who we want to move on from, extend some, cut some, and, and free up just a boatload of money next year? Or just extend a bunch of people, and ex- either way, we're save, <laughs> saving a bunch of money. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's really a thing. I know we've done that with quarterbacks. I don't know if you'd do that for like a pass rusher and a safety. But maybe, again, Adrian is not even 28 yet. Not that we'd save a huge amount of money, but you could. I mean, if you give him like another two-year extension, it'd be until he's 31 years old. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying. I don't think that... The, the whole point of what I'm saying is it seems relatively unlikely that we're going to do much with these guys' contracts. We're not going to be pushing out money, I don't think. The only thing you could do is do an extension. But again, it's kind of weird to do it from two years out. I know they've done it with quarterbacks. I am not, don't recall that happening with a lot of other positions. Billy Turner, exact same situation. Again, everybody was signed through 2022. They're all 28-year-olds that got four-year contracts. They could move on from Billy if they wanted to, but again, they really, really like Billy Turner. I don't think they're going to. Um, Pushing money out doesn't make any sense. They could. and In fact, Billy's one of the few that kind of makes a decent amount of sense because I do think as much as they like him, especially if they want him to be a tackle, he's the one that's massively underpaid. I'm still not the biggest Billy Turner fan in the world. And he is 29 years old, so I mean, you know, how long do you expect this guy to be playing when Packers don't really like older offensive linemen anyways? But I do feel like there's possibly something here. I mean, he's going to be 30 this year, so I don't know, maybe not. But he's only $8 million against the cap this year and 8.1 next year. If they wanted to push a little bit out, are they going to get mad paying him $10 million next year? Probably not. I mean, heck, if they wanted to push out four and pay him 12 next year, I don't think they'd mind. Again, it's kind of weird, but slight possibility there. Christian Kirksey, that could save us a ton of money moving forward. Um, I mean, as far as linebackers go, we're talking like $5.6 million in additional cap space just by moving on from Christian Kirksey. Um, and I would expect them to do that. I do think they like Christian, and, and, and I tend to think if they had all the money in the world, maybe they wouldn't, and they would just hang on to him. And, and they may still hang on to him. I don't know. But it just doesn't seem like he's worth the money. It's kind of like, would you rather have $5.6 million or Christian Kirksey? It's an easy answer for me. I don't, I don't exactly know where the Packers stand on that. By the way, interesting tidbit. Um, 
You know I haven't been super excited about the linebackers aside from Kamal, and I've been mentioning that we haven't gotten much production from anybody else. Most of the Packers fan base is over the moon with the linebackers, and Kamal is kind of at the bottom of the list. Chris Barnes is the one everybody's super excited about, and I've mentioned PFF says he's not good at all, but anytime you're fast and make a couple big plays, people get excited. It was the same reason people were really excited about Oren Burks at first, because he's really, look how fast he is, it's amazing. Look how he's right next to him when he caught that pass, even though he let him catch it and then tackled him after. Brian Gutekunst in this press conference said he was not happy with the linebacker play, so boom, roasted. Uh, Kenny Clark, I think, is similar. They just paid the guy. I think they gave him the structure that they wanted, so I don't think there's going to be a lot there. Plus, um, the way that it's structured is we're not taking a big cap hit this year, so there's nothing really to do. Uh, Dean Lowry, they could possibly move on from. I think they do like him, but... um, it's kind of iffy because you move on from Dean and we're getting real shallow and we're only saving $3 million. But at the same time, it's still $3 million and I don't know that Dean is the greatest football player in the world. Rick Wagner's a real big question mark. I think he was a very good football player. Um, it kind of feels like a Mike Pettin situation, you know, where we probably should try to find somebody better, but um, it's super high risk. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel like just letting him play out his contract this year is probably the right decision to make. Because we absolutely need him. Again, he did a very good job. And there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to just, oh yeah, just get a tackle in the draft. Who? Let, let me just put it to you this way. Let's say there are three tackles, and that's that's generous. Let's say there are three tackles that are very good in this upcoming draft that could replace Rick Wagner. I would doubt that that's the case. How many do you think are going to be available when the Packers pick? And what are the odds the Packers are going to value them when this comes around? I, I think... Last year, I said there was one tackle that played well from the 2020 class, and I think there was one, or maybe maybe like two tackles or something, I don't know, and one guard who was like a third-round guy. Out of 32 teams, what are the odds the Packers get that one that's going to be available and going to be very good when the Packers pick? Again, it's not just, well, just pick a tackle and then we're good. No. you have. There's only going to be a couple that are going to be good football players in year one. The odds of the Packers, one in 32 chance, that they grab that one, maybe it's a little bit higher. If there's three but two are gone, we can assume the, the two teams that picked the two that are good, yeah, whatever. So one in 30. It's not that easy, and the Packers can't just snap their fingers and make it happen. They don't know if they're going to be drafting a tackle. They know they want to. They don't know if they're going to. And yes, you can wait until after the draft to see how it pans out or whatever, but it's, it's still a question mark, even if they draft one, even if they draft one in the first round. And maybe, maybe they just look at it and say, listen, we drafted you in the first round. You have to play. Um, but the, the biggest thing here is... It's sort of the opposite of Dean Lowry. He doesn't give you much, but he doesn't cost us much. For Rick Wagner, he gives us a lot. And I, I mentioned how he was massively underrated. But we're talking, you know, he's costing $6 million. His dead cap is only $1.75. It's a decent chunk of money. I mean, I guess it's kind of chump change if we're talking about an actual legit starting right tackle. But it'll be interesting. I mean, if they don't get a tackle early, I don't think there's any debate. Well, you could move Billy. I know, but I'd kind of like to keep him inside if possible. But anyways, the, the things that I laid out, we're talking massive chunks of money, and, and I think that by itself could definitely help. I, everybody else is so low cost, it doesn't do anything. There, some people are talking about possibly extending Jair um, like now, as opposed to waiting until the end of the year. And I don't think that that's um, completely out of the realm of possibility, but again, the contract is, is the issue. We're obviously not going to save any money. Possibly they could keep him at the 3.8, but he's going to get a big old chunk of change. And I know the Packers are big, like a lot of teams are, on, you know, if you've earned it, you've earned it, and we want to give it to you. I'm sure they want to pay Jair. They want to reward him for what he's done. They want to make him the highest-paid corner in football. But that's probably going to mean bringing on extra extra cap charges that I don't know that they're in the greatest position 
to uh, to take on. But I don't know. It'll be interesting. But again, I, I think that's sort of the general direction. We, we change the structure of these contracts to reflect a team that is going to be in competition, not just this year and maybe next year, but for the foreseeable future with Aaron Rodgers at the helm, the number one top best quarterback in football. And so that's that's at least how I'm phrasing my that's how I'm restructuring the way my brain is looking at things. They structured all these contracts and everything one way with with uncertainty and based on the prospect that possibly Aaron Rodgers would be gone soon. And after what they saw from Aaron Rodgers this past year, they've changed everything. And I think we're going to start to see things reflect that. The way they draft, who they draft, the structure of the contracts, who they go out and get in free agency, who they let go of, all of those things are, are based around Aaron Rodgers at the helm for... I don't know, four years, and we'll see what happens after that. That's what I think. Otherwise, we got to see what the defensive coordinator brings. But again, at the very least, we know what the energy is. We want an attacking defense, not a passive defense. And, and there's some merit to being a passive defense. Again, we saw the benefit of it, but I think the best of the best of the best defenses are always going to be attacking defenses. They don't play scared, and they get the best out of their guys, and, and, and they, they just were not getting the absolute best. It, it went beyond just the play calling. It was a mentality although the play calling was also problematic. So, I, I listen, go listen to what they said and get excited about it. You can whine and complain, well, we, we came one game away from the Super Bowl twice. Oh, cry about it. Go talk to a Lions fan and tell them how sad you are that they only got to the NFC Championship game. Go talk to a Vikings fan or a Bears fan or a Browns fan or a Bengals fan or a Jaguars fan or a Panthers fan. I can go through the whole list of, of teams if you'd like. Guess how many teams have been to the NFC Championship game the last two years in a row, or the, the championship game two years in a row. Not Tampa, not the Bills, it's the Packers and the Chiefs, and that's it. There's two teams, that's it. Go cry about it. Tell mommy, because I don't want to hear it anymore. The Packers do have the personnel, they do have the players, they do have to figure some stuff out. Again, it's unique challenges. They don't have the same challenges as everybody else. They don't have the challenges that the Lions have of, of what do we do at quarterback, how do we structure, the, what's the direction, all this different stuff. They have unique challenges in terms of how do we get the best out of our guys. But that is a much smaller hill to climb than everybody else. You think the Vikings have a better chance than the Packers do? They got a lot more to figure out than just how do we get the best out of our guys in big moments. It's a challenge. It's not as big as, as a lot of other teams have to overcome. Even Miami, they're, they're a real promising team. they got a billion picks. they got a young quarterback. they got all this stuff. What if Tua doesn't develop? What if he doesn't become a top-tier quarterback? They're never going to get there. What do you do with that? they got a great coach. they got uh, you know great defensive unit, and they're going to keep adding players, and they're going to keep growing and getting better. But if Tua is a mediocre quarterback forever, they're, they're basically done already. Everybody has massive challenges. One team is going to win the Super Bowl. Everybody else is going to fall short. The Packers are always right there, and they're going to stay right there as long as Aaron, because they were able to rebuild in the snap, you know, with the snap of their fingers. This team was at the bottom of the barrel. They had a losing season. They didn't even get to eight and eight. They fired their head coach. They had to start over from scratch. And in one year, they're back at the NFC Championship game. That doesn't happen. And the people that made it happen deserve respect. You couldn't have made that happen. I couldn't have made that happen. 95% of the GMs and coaches around the NFL could not have made that happen. Brian Gutekunst made that happen. Matt LaFleur is making that happen. And yeah, they got it. they're young. They're new to this. New GM, new coach. They got some stuff to iron out. But they completely rebuilt the team. They rebuilt the locker room, which was a toxic disaster area. In a year, 
Aaron Rodgers went from, you know, everybody's mocking him to league MVP in a year. There's no guarantees of anything. They might go to the NFC Championship game and lose again. Because at the end of the day, it's always any given Sunday. And no matter what happens, if you're a very good team, you probably get into the playoffs. And you're probably going to win at least a one playoff game. But when you have a very good football player going up against a very good football player, I'm really sorry to tell you, it's a flip of a coin. And I don't know if you ever flipped a coin, but there are times when it comes up heads two times in a row. It doesn't have to be tails next time just because it was heads last time. And just because it's been heads twice, guess what? When you flip that coin, there's no reason for it to be tails any more than there is for it to be heads. There are no guarantees. The best you can do is try to structure this thing as best as you can. And I think they've done an unbelievable job. They came up short. That's their biggest challenge. How do we get the best out of our guys? And again, I think it starts with mentality. I think they're right about that. we got to have an attacking football team, not a team that plays scared, not a team that just wants to minimize disasters. Well, I'm scared to turn this over to A.J. Dillon. I'm scared to run the ball. I want to just give it to Aaron Rodgers because I trust him the most. And I'm scared of giving up the big plays, except when it matters, and then we just give them a big play. So we're going to play off. I think they need to change that. I think that's a great start. And I think another great start would be in the draft, we're going to attack everything that we need to win today. Because again, when I listen to those press conferences, especially from Brian Gutekunst, I'm hearing a very different Brian Gutekunst and a very big shift. Although some of the things might sound subtle, the way he talks about Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love and the way that they've, again, definitively shut this down. Last year, we had an entire offseason of speculation and there surprisingly was a lot of quiet and again the media took full advantage of that not because it was true but because the Packers didn't exactly have what they needed to completely shut it all down they came out in minutes to completely shut it down and say this is our guy for as long as we possibly can keep him that's it it's definitive and they talk about Jordan Love they bring up uh, again Matt Hasselbeck now they understand just like everybody else should anything can happen and Jordan Love could be our quarterback in, in two years but that's no longer the plan. That's no longer even an option. That, that is now a disastrous scenario. Last year, that wasn't a disastrous scenario. That's what it is. Things have changed. And some people will, again, want a money money quarterback and say, that. well, that should have been the case all along. Well, if you invest everything you have into Aaron Rodgers and he doesn't take a step, you've just doomed your team. So they took a year. They learned everything they needed to know. It would have been nice if this happened year one under Matt LaFleur if Aaron Rodgers was league MVP. We probably could have changed some things this year, but it didn't happen. He didn't play all that well, but he did this past year, so I'm excited. I'm very excited, and I think you should be too. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.